hard to believe, but this is week six out of six. So we are basically done with our class or this block of equip. I know it's gone by so quickly for me as I'm sure it's been for all of you. And uh, as we get to the very end, I'd love to spend a little bit of time just uh, dialoguing to hear um, what you've maybe gotten out of this class, you know, maybe one or two things just to kind of collectively share. It's always helpful, you know, as we're going through the weeks to be able to learn, but then to also reflect together as a community to hear uh, what God has done in each of our lives and our hearts. So, uh, but as always, just want to start with a quick recap of what we've done. Um, the, the whole goal of the class and where we started was looking at the peak of where we're going as believers, which is to become more like Christ. So we want to understand that he is our goal. Um, personally, that means that we're learning to become more and more like him as we fully submit our lives to Jesus. That is everything we do from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed. We are saying, Lord, how can I honor you today? A big part of Christ-likeness, though, is also learning how to minister to other people. Uh, we're not called to only think about ourselves and our own spiritual journeys, but a huge part of the Christian life is ministry. Thinking about how we're relating to other believers and coming alongside them and caring for them in ways that we've seen in our class together. And again, all of this needs to be rooted in love. We're not called to do this in just a kind of a religious, uh, religious ritual, even as we're going to talk about later today, but it truly is based on a relationship with God, a desire to love Him, worship Him genuinely from the heart, not just action. The second week, we're looking at the path of heart change. So uh, what is the process of progressive sanctification? How do we become more like Jesus over the course of our life? And the main way is understanding that's looking at our hearts. And as we've seen in this chart, which has been drawn so many times, it was actually already blurred onto the screen. So I, I don't know how we're going to get rid of it, but eventually it will. Understanding that we don't just want to focus on a change in how we're living, right? But as we saw from Luke chapter 6, the fruit of our lives, that is how we're living and how we respond to situations, is always a reflection of the root of our lives. That is our heart. And we broke down the heart as really being our worldview and our worship. In other words, our theology, right? How we are truly understanding God, ourselves, our circumstances, and then what we are truly worshiping or loving or desiring in our life. And so who we really are at our core is how we are viewing, thinking, how we are loving. And that then determines how we're going to respond to situations or circumstances. And so that's why you can have two people. They have the exact same trial, same tragedy, their vacation falls through, they have some type of illness, and they respond completely different ways because who they are in Christ is different. Their level of sanctification, their maturity in Christ is different. And so that's why you see over here, we are sanctified as we learn to think differently. Our theology grows. We learn to love differently. That is what we truly worship and desire in life is changed. And we learn to act differently. That is our lifestyle is, is different. The main thing here, of course, is we don't just focus on the behavior, which is where most of us tend to do. We need to focus on the heart, which is those first two parts there. Then we looked at how do we actually see heart change take place? Uh, part of it is us. Part of it, of course, is God through the Holy Spirit working in us. And so over two weeks, we saw that heart change happens as we engage in what we call to the spiritual disciplines. And that is just all of the practices that believers can and should engage in, uh, which you see listed in Scripture in different ways, to allow God to work through the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. And a lot of specific things can be broken up there, but we saw them in four major categories. And so that is, of course, how are we devotionally engaging with God? 
in scripture and prayer, right? It's not just knowledge. It's not just, I got to do this because I'm told to, but it's how am I genuinely relating to God in a way that's growing our relationship and love? Um, how do we reflectively respond to our circumstances, secondly? And that is just saying, when we go through trials, when we go through hardship, there's a way in which we can just respond with bitterness, frustration, anger, or we can use that to say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me in this moment? What idols of my heart are being revealed through these circumstances? How can I relate these trials to you? Um, all of this is what we're called to do as believers. Thirdly, we're called to use other people as we humbly invite input into our life. And so even if you're 100% on your own trying to read your Bible and listen to sermons and do all these things on your own, if you're not engaging intentionally and relationally with other people, you're just not going to grow the way that we're called to grow. Now, Jeremiah 17:9 says that the heart is deceptive, all right? You know, it's easy that we're going to deceive ourselves, even if we're trying to read scripture, right? We're not going to see all of our heart idols, and that's why God has given us the church. That's why he's given us other believers who can speak the truth into our lives. And so part of the challenge is how are we making sure we are having time in our schedules that we have those deep relationships with other people? How are we learning as we depend on the Lord to become more and more humble where we actually do receive input from other people uh, and be willing to receive criticism? The challenge that a lot of us find is maybe if it's a total stranger, maybe if it's a pastor that you don't know, maybe you'll listen to their feedback. But if it's your family member, right, you know, because we know them more, they've seen all our flaws, it's easy to become much more uh, kind of defensive against them. But the challenge is how can all of us learn to receive feedback from every single believer because we need that. And then fourthly, how do you radically strive to change your lifestyle and mortify sin? It's, an, it's one thing to hear all of these facts and say, I believe and I agree. But a huge part of spiritual change is also the willingness to take the effort yourself. Um, part of the conversation we had last week, it's great if you desire to counsel and, and give insight into another person's life. But if they're not willing to do the work themselves and change, unfortunately, it's just not going to see the same level of growth as well. Uh, and so that's where the mortification takes place. That's a personal decision over a course of time. I'll just say one other thing uh, related to this process here that I didn't get to last week. Um, oh yeah, so then well, actually we'll, we'll do this first. So then the last thing we covered last week were the pointers. So all of this applies to us personally as we're seeking to allow the Lord to change our own life. But as we saw in the first week, we're called to also engage in ministry with other people. And so what does that look like on a practical basis? How can we counsel? How can we disciple one another formally or informally? Uh, there were kind of four general steps that we looked at. Um, those came from Paul Tripp's book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, but we use them a little bit differently. But the four categories were simply love, right? So every conversation should be based on a desire to really care for the person, not just change their behavior because it's wrong. Um, secondly, you want to know. That is, in every single circumstance, uh, you want to know why a person's acting the way that they did, right? Their particular heart idols, what they're worshiping or what their worldview is, is unique. And so you want to know their particular problems and issues to be able to come alongside them. Then, of course, that's where you need to speak the truth as well, right? You want to speak in both a put-off language and put-on. What are the idols that they're worshiping that they need to confess? Um, what's off about their worldview that they need to recognize? And then, of course, the put-on, right? What are the righteous biblical truths that they need to know, pursue, meditate on? And then how can they actually do these things, right? On a practical level, it's one thing if they're like, you know what, I need to change, I want to change, but nothing under week changes, right? This is not going to happen. 
for a person that genuinely wants to see sanctification and Christ-likeness and heart change, there has to be the willingness to actually put the words into action. And so that's where the question is, what is going to change about your week this week? Right? If you're saying that uh, you, know, you really struggle with anger, and now you recognize that it's really based on pride and that you need to be the king of your universe, what are you going to do practically this week to allow God through his word and his people to change your perception? And that's where you get to all the practical parts of reading scripture and meditating on certain verses and inviting accountability. All of those things comes down to the practical level. But something that I didn't get to last week that I just want to briefly mention is why some of this counseling or discipleship or exhortation between friends doesn't work. And really, this is very simple. There's two reasons. One, a believer receives bad counsel. All right, so that's where a person genuinely wants to change. And I think we've all been there. But what another believer is telling them is just really bad. You know, maybe the person is overconfident in their abilities. Maybe they have a good heart, but they're just ignorant about some truths of Scripture. And so they want to help you and they, they give advice. But it's just something that's not going to actually be biblically helpful. Right? It's not going to truly get to the root of issues. And so that's where for us, as we're growing in our ability to obviously help ourselves, but Lord willing, help other people, we need to also grow in our knowledge as well. Our knowledge of scripture, of the truths of how we get to the heart, of the reasons why people can turn good things into ultimate things or, or worship them. Um, we need to make sure that we're not giving bad counsel. And so again, that's why we engage in sermons and Bible studies and devotions and all of these things in which we have to say every single day, Lord, how can I know you better? How can I know your word more? How can I help other people more accurately so we're not giving bad counsel? But the other 50% of counseling fails because people don't heed good counsel, right? And I think we've all seen this as well, where a person has a clear issue in their life and maybe they, they do initially want to listen to advice or they're inviting input, but when push comes to shove, especially in the doing section, they don't actually want to change or they don't actually want to take the difficult steps that are required to see change happen over time. And so, you know, something that happens often in church is the very unfortunate case where a person says, I need help, I have this situation, help me, right? They'll get some kind of counsel from a person and then a couple weeks go by and they've done nothing. A couple months go by and they've done nothing and their life is still the same. And they say, you know what? I don't like this counsel that I'm getting. They go to another person and repeat the same cycle until a year has gone on. They've talked to three people, haven't listened to anything and say, this church just isn't helping me, right? That's just a very common thing that happens, not just here, but in many churches. And so, you know, part of the, um, the battle that we have as we're learning to do ministry is the reality that not everyone is going to listen to good counsel, right? We need to be careful that we are giving biblical advice, but at the same time recognize and have the sober reality that uh, not everyone truly wants to be helped because not everyone's truly willing to put in the effort or work that it takes to allow God to bring that change. And so uh, part of you know, ministry is learning to be okay with, with rejection and failure. Uh, not that we pursue it, not that we want it, but we just recognize that as a reality. Um, it, it's a difficult reality, but it is a reality nonetheless. Uh, and so again, that might be a harder thing to say, but hopefully as an encouragement for everything we've covered so far, right? My hope, my prayer, my goal is if you have been through all of these sessions, if you're thinking about each of these categories, theoretically, you now know enough to help other people. 
right? You know enough about scripture, the nature of sanctification, that hopefully you've been thinking about areas in your own life and applying some of these principles of getting to the heart. You're wanting to grow your own spiritual disciplines as you're relating to the Lord. And you should now know enough to be able to, at least on a fundamental level, help counsel others well. And now the, the big question, right, or the big goal or journey of the Christian life is a slow progression as we grow in our ability to do this well. Grow in our personal walks with Christ, grow in our ability to minister to other people through using these principles. And so, again, on a simple level, I hope and pray that all of us are going to be able to use these in some uh, form or fashion. And so I'd love at the end of class just to hear again some of the takeaways that maybe you've had you know, from this class, even if it's just one or two, just ways that you've been uh, maybe uh, impacted by God's word over these last five or six weeks. Um, but first, we have one more session to get to, and that's going to be looking at the pitfalls, which uh, in some sense might feel the most negative. That's not my goal, but uh, you know, we, we need to talk about it at some point, and it happens to be today. So here we go. Um, one experience that related to this, uh, a couple, maybe two years ago, when I was living at our former apartment in Burbank, uh, we were living in this very small space, because again, LA is very expensive. Burbank being the media capital of the world is very expensive. Um, we had this very small, maybe 500 square foot apartment. And I remember uh, one morning, uh, Cindy woke up you know, yelling that there are maggots on the ground. So I'm like, what? You know, I, w I was asleep, so I quickly get up. And then she says, I got to go. I got to go to work. So goodbye. <laughs> so she very quickly leaves, leaving me to see all of these maggots crawling in different parts of the floor. Right. And at first, again, not wearing my glasses, I couldn't really see. But I could kind of see the, the ground was moving in different parts. So I put it on and it was gross. So I kill I killed the, those maggots. Uh, a couple weeks later, we come back from some dinner or something we were doing. Or maybe I was by myself. And I saw like 13 flies all in our bedroom area, right? And it was a studio apartment, so it's all kind of one big space. But I mean, literally 13 or 15 flies, just disgusting. And so I, I quickly killed them thinking, what on earth was that? You know, maybe it's from the, the maggots. Hopefully they're all gone. Um, but over the course of those days, more and more flies just kept on appearing, right? Sometimes it was to be one or two. Sometimes it's five. And I mean, absolutely disgusting. Again, we don't have a big space but they were just everywhere. And so we started doing everything we could think of to try to deal with you know, this maggot problem. Uh, you know, at first, I thought maybe we're just not cleaning the ground as much. So Cindy is like scrubbing the floor and every surface thinking maybe there's this food, you know, kind of like layers everywhere. Um, of course, besides you know, swatting them, uh, I bought some fly traps thinking maybe they'll be attracted to it and then that will kill the problem. That didn't work. We kept on doing all of these things and the flies just kept on coming. And, and again, this was like mental, psychological, spiritual warfare, right? <laughs> I, I'm in my office thinking flies are brewing in my apartment. And, and literally every time you would go back, you know that they're there. Even though I would kill everyone, you would wake up and you would find more just you know, lying there on the ground. And so one night when Cindy is at some dinner with some gals, I just decided I'm going to take paper towels I'm going to plug anything that remotely looks like it could be a hole, right? Anything that like the smallest, slightest crack, like I just, I cannot see anything where maybe they're coming from, right? So I took a roll of toilet paper and for literally an hour, anything from the light fixtures to the smallest little crack, I'm just plugging it all. And after that night, the flies stopped coming. Right? So I don't know exactly which hole it was, but one of those holes was actually the, the source of the problem. Right? That's where they were all coming in from. And so by finally hitting that, right, the source, um, the, the problem was eventually resolved. 
as we learned later on, basically uh, an animal had died in the walls close to our apartment. So of course that it's brewing all over our, our room. But by plugging the hole, we were able to actually stop, right? Finally, it was done. Um, but I, I say that because you know, there's many ways in which we as believers try to pursue change, right? That is doing a lot of effort, but is not really getting at the source of the issue. Right? It takes a lot of activity. Maybe you are doing a lot of action, but it's, and maybe it does lead to temporary change, but it's not going to lead to lasting change. And, and these are the pitfalls that we're going to talk about for the remainder of our time. Ways that we think are leading to change um, that aren't actually going to help. And so uh, one of the analogies that's commonly used is it's almost like if you are the dying tree over here, right? Uh, your life just is not in a good spiritual condition. You're not living the way that you should or that you want to. And instead of uh, working on the root or getting to the worldview worship issues, you, you said just staple, you know, live fruit onto your tree, right? Temporarily for a season, maybe it looks fine, but it's just gross, right? It's not really going to be helping. Uh, and so that's what these pitfalls are. So the four categories we're just going to see here, which you'll see mirror very much things that we've covered already are focusing on our behavior, our circumstances, our emotions, and then our knowledge. So just know as we're going through these, right, it's not that each one of these is inherently wrong because in God's timing, God's way, we do want to see change in each of these categories. But the pitfall is when we focus on these as a hyper exclusion to everything else that, we, that we've talked about. And so yeah, I think we'll see how all of us have some kind of tendency in one or more of these categories here. So the first one is what I'm calling behaviorism which is the thought that, you know, how does change happen? What do I need to focus on? I just need to do the right things. And so this is where, let's say you have a married couple, as we talked about last week, that famous Paul Tripp quote, where they're just arguing, bickering all the time. And they're thinking the solution to my life, what I just need to do, what we need to do is just stop arguing. If we can just stop, you know, every time I start speaking, I just won't do it anymore, right? Um, that type of behavior where maybe it does help to a certain degree, but it's, it's not addressing the underlying issues of the heart, right, that are leading to, to the arguing and the bickering and, and the wrong worldview about who God is. Uh, this could be the um, type of behavior where a person that struggles with alcoholism is saying, you know what, I'm just going to, through my sheer willpower, I'm just not going to drink, right? I've been doing it for 10 years, which, as we know, there's clearly different spiritual issues going on there, but I'm just going to use my sheer willpower. I'm just not going to do it anymore. Maybe that person's able to stop, right? And they're not going to actually drink and praise God if that happens. But there's a danger in which it's not addressing maybe some of the other issues which led to that in the first place. Uh, the Christian version where we see this happen is what's known as legalism or moralism, right? Where a person's saying, my goal is whether it's myself or my kids, they just have to look good. They just need to stop sinning. They just stop sinning and then everything's going to be okay. Uh, and so how do we see this sometimes? Well, for one, you know, common example is you have a, a parent or parents that, you know, that's such a, a desire that they're just going to beat their kids into submission, not physically, maybe they do, but just being incredibly strict and having very strong punishments for every small thing to where their children are just terrified of doing the wrong thing, right? And so for that season of time, maybe they look okay on the outside, right? They're not rebelling openly or they're not doing those bad things that they weren't supposed to do. But then again, we've probably all heard of those situations where then a kid goes off to college or then leaves a household and suddenly has this crazy level of rebellion because their heart was never actually addressed, right? Maybe their behavior was changed for a season and time, but it's not really getting to the true issue. 
How else do we see kind of behaviorism is, you know, maybe where you have a, a Christian college student that, you know, it, um, doesn't party, doesn't cuss, doesn't do a lot of the things that maybe some of their non-believing friends do. And then, you know, maybe they're not saying anything out loud, but has a deep sense of pride in their heart. You know, is deeply just looking down on other people and thinking, well, I'm not like other people. You know, I'm the one that's righteous and going to church every single Sunday, whatever it might be. Um, all of this, you know, is what could be defined as some level of behaviorism. But can I ask you guys, what do you think is attractive about this type of pitfall? You know, all of us can struggle with it to some degree, but why is it easy to fall into this type of trap of just focusing on the behavior? What would you say? It's very objective, right? So you can, in a sense, clearly see a path forward and do something now. So it's kind of this sense of um, instant gratification. Mm. You, you think you can do something about it in the moment, um, but it doesn't lead there. Yeah. It's okay, good. Yeah. So it's, it's good to desire change in behavior, right? And so when you see that, you're like, hey, this is wonderful. You know, my kids aren't arguing with me or whatever it is. Okay. But, but you're not getting to the heart. Yeah, okay. Alex, you're, you're raising your hand. Yeah, I was just going to say it glorifies you. Okay, in what sense? Because uh, you look good and people think you are good. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, some, some of the motivation can be I just want to be seen a certain way. Uh -huh. Okay. What else could be attractive about this type of behaviorism? Yeah, good. So it's if I'm doing the right things, if I put enough effort for myself or for kids or whatever, you know, I can make something happen, right? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, Mike. Yeah, it allows me to think that I can do something about it rather than go to Christ and, mm. right, and admit that I can't do anything about this. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so it's a lot of the kind of uh, self-focus, I can do this, pull myself up by my bootstraps type of mentality. Yeah, all, all of those are are, uh, you know, true realities. And again, the reason that we can be drawn to this is unique for every single one of us, right? That's going back to our, our worldview conversation. Um, but it's helpful to, to think about this. As we've seen over this whole class, right? Christ-likeness is deeper than just our behavior, right? It goes beyond that, but of course it does include that. And so we do want behavior change, but our behavior change, as we've seen, needs to be led by and motivated by a heart change as Christ changes us from the internal side. And so two passages we had to just briefly look this over. Uh, maybe if we can have two people read it, if someone can find Isaiah 29, 13, and then if someone can find Matthew uh, 23, 25 to 26. Um, someone have Isaiah? Yeah, Pat, okay, Pat's got it. And then if someone can read the Matthew 23, 25 to 26. Yeah, Tony, okay. Then the Lord said, because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by root. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so the, the danger that the Israelites fell in here is they were doing a lot of good religious activity, right? They were still praising God clearly, you know, um, they were still offering sacrifices, but their hearts were far from God. So they were, in quotes, doing the right thing, but not with the genuine heart of worship before the Lord. And so all of that activity before God is rubbish, right? All of that was not accomplishing what all of those sacrifices, all of those prayers were supposed to do, which is genuinely loving God more. And so that's what we have to be careful of. And so we'll see one more example of that in uh, Matthew 23. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Yeah, a very similar thing, right? Where externally, right, it's possible to look very, very righteous, right? And oftentimes it's not because you're doing positive acts of righteousness, but you're just not doing overt acts of sin. But all that kind of religious externality can easily hide a wicked heart, right? And that's what was going on with the Pharisees here, and which is why he's saying, clean the inside of your cup and plate first, clean who you are, and then you can think about the outside there. Um, the, the challenge for all of us is unless, again, our heart, we're seeking to love and honor Christ and who we are internally, you know, maybe you are doing all of these religiously good acts, but then your life is going to look no different than a good Mormon or a good Catholic, right? Because, again, externally, we're doing, quote, unquote, righteous behavior, but it's not motivated by true worship of the true living God. So that's where we have to be careful of behaviorism here. Uh, maybe just really briefly, do any of you guys have experiences that you'd be willing to share about this type of pitfall? Maybe you've recognized when you've been drawn to this in the past or you've seen how it, you know, it's, it's taken place in, in your own life or in the lives of those that you know that are close to you. Yeah, Gary. When we were in our children back in the 80s, a long time ago, um, we were new believers and didn't have a lot of great instruction like we have here. We listened a lot to James Dobson and focus on the family, mm. and he emphasized, yes, you deal with the child's heart and discuss the heart issues, and if it's just foolish childness that the kid is doing, like spill a cup of milk or, you know, stuff like that, you can more or less ignore the behavior, but if it's willful disobedience, Yeah. Oh, no, that's a great question. And that's where I think it's, you know, where you do both, right? So with each of these dangers, it's not that we don't address what we're talking about, but it's doing it in balance with everything else that we've discussed. So, of course, when it comes to willful defiance, right, you want to, uh, you know, lovingly discipline or correct that child, right? You know, showing them why it's wrong. But it's all about, you know, ministering and talking about why you're doing, right? Understanding that the reason that you're supposed to listen to me as an authority is not because I'm the end, I'll be all of everything, right? But because I'm also a, under authority as well, right? God is the one that we're called to listen to. He's the one that deserves all praise. And so the reason that you have to listen to me is because, uh, you know, God is calling you to do that, just as I'm now trying to listen and submit to him. Um, so then, of course, you don't want to allow those, you know, wrong, sinful behaviors to continue, um, but it's all about how you're explaining the reasoning behind that, you know, to a child as well. So, yeah, that's a, a great, you know, clarifying question. Yeah, I can yeah. say, like, even, sorry for not raising my hand. No, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you're married, it's okay. No. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to raise your hand once you're married. <laughs> um, I can remember even just as a child being, like, naturally prone to being argumentative and just mm. being, one, like, wanting to talk back. I would see a flaw in an argument and I'd be like, well, I know the right answer or I can see why, why should I have to do that when that doesn't make any sense? Like you have to make sense for me to obey you mm. kind of a thing. Um, instead of being just like respecting the position like what you were talking about, um, I didn't want to humble myself and just obey. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until like I read that passage in Philippians uh, when it talks about Christ's example of humility. Mm. It talks about how even like the God of the universe can humble himself. And I was like, I remember thinking, I even wrote it down somewhere. Yeah. Like, I remember like, if God can humble himself, mm. why can't I? Yeah. And I should yeah. do the same thing. So it wasn't until I came to mm-hmm. that like realization that it actually... Yeah. Well, and and that's a great example of what we're talking about of of uh, biblical based learning to obey versus just behaviorism, right? So if if all you're being told is you need to do it because I'm telling you to, right, and I'm going to discipline you until you do, yeah, that's clearly behaviorism. But what you would want to see as it was with you is okay, I'm learning to do this because I see Christ's example and I want to be like Him, right? And so therefore, that's where you're starting to focus on the heart type focus of obedience versus just behaviorism. Yeah, so that, that's a really I good example. The bad part of me. Like, oh, I sure, sure. I tried to do the behavioral yeah. thing, but, and I was just like, I'll just be quiet, mm-hmm. but like I would just like be kind of like. Yeah, okay, yeah, so they're just kind of, door, uh, kind of like, yes, so, so de- define like, obedience, kind of, yeah. Like, stomping around while I was quiet, quietly yeah. like, obeying and Okay. It wasn't until, yeah. Yeah. That, that, sorry. Okay. So you weren't like. Too good. So you weren't like a four-year-old saying, "Oh man, <laughs> no. Jesus in Philippians 2. No, I, I was like, "Listen, I'm bored. I can yeah. read Philippians and Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so great contrast, right? Yeah. The willing defiance versus learning to do it and out of pursuit of Christ. Yeah. Very good. Um, one more example. Anyone wants to share? Good or bad? Yeah. So the saying is, I'll sit down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Mm, that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, the big danger is, you know, you can do all types of things to conform people on the outside, but internally, you know, the, the wickedness is still there. Yeah. Maybe one more comment. You end up fighting pride with pride and behavioralism. Mm. That's the problem. Right. You're, you're, trying to, you're trying to bring pride into control, but in doing so, you're adding pride. Mm-hmm. Mm. Before there was light, I was studying to be a clinical psychologist, and I remember that most of the credible professors that I had would say, we cannot do anything about the black box, the heart. Hmm. Therefore, we've got to do other things. Hmm. It, always, it always came down to behavioralism or some modalism of change that was pride engendering. Hmm. And even then, I was not saved. I, I didn't know the Lord. Even then, I was going, this is not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a very telling statement, right? We cannot do anything about the black box. So, but in Christ, we can, right? Through the power of God's word. So that's great. Um, Yeah. Okay. So all those comments are really helpful. Again, we want to be wary of that. The second category is what I'm just calling eventism, which is this: I just need to be in the right places. And so this is talking about our circumstances. So what's one of the ways that we seek change, which maybe can be helpful to some degree or temporarily, but doesn't lead to true lasting heart change is, I'm just gonna change my circumstances. And so maybe you're in a bad situation or circumstance you wanna get out of, or you're saying, I just need to pursue more positive circumstances. Again, that's not a bad thing in itself, but when we focus on that only, um, we're not dealing with a heart issue. So a couple examples is, Maybe you found yourself in a workplace dynamic that you just absolutely abhor, right? Maybe you feel like it's a toxic environment. You have people that you're around and you're just saying, I hate every single day that I'm here. I just need to get out of this place, right? And again, I'm not saying you should not change your workplace, you know, because there is wisdom depending on what's going on. But 
Yeah, if you're thinking that this is the sole reason for my issues, and if I just get out of this, everything is going to be fixed, oftentimes it's not, right? Because even as we've looked at the last couple of weeks about how God uses our trials and circumstances to shape us, we need to be reflectively and spiritually going through everything, right? And so sure, you can be praying about wanting to get out of a bad workplace situation, but hopefully what you're doing at the same time is, Lord, what are you teaching me through this workplace situation, right? How can I be a light for you in this moment right now? Um, what am I supposed to do to honor you right here while I'm here, however long that is? Um, don't just say, if I'm out of this, then everything in my life will be better. Uh, something similar was when, uh, you know, what we saw over the course of COVID where people wanted to uh, move from one state to another, right? Maybe they didn't like the politics of the state or what was going on or how much money you're spending. Again, that's not wrong in itself, right? We have the freedom and ability to do that. But if, if that's masking things that are going on in the heart, which need to be addressed, right? A, a, a spirit of defiance. I will never be told what I cannot do or I want and I love my money you know, don't you dare take it away in taxes. If those are the hard issues that are going on, sure, you can move to a place where maybe things are a little bit easier, but then your heart is not being dealt with the way that the Lord would want us to do. Again, totally fine to move around, but in everything, the question is, what is God trying to teach me who I am before him that, that's being exposed through what I'm struggling with here? Um, some ways that we see this in the Christian world specifically is, is what... Um, Timothy Lane calls formalism. All of these Christian versions come from him, by the way. Formalism, things like this. Uh, my life will change if I'm just attending enough church events, right? And that could be as simple as, you know what? I need to be at church on every Sunday, right? I have some type of issue that I'm working through, so I'm going to be at church. Or uh, my, my son or my husband, they really need help, so they're going to be at church. Or if I go to enough Bible studies where I'm just learning all this information, then, you know, my life is going to change. Again, those are all good things, but them in themselves will not lead to spiritual change, right? Uh, those are opportunities to be interacting with believers and hearing the truth of God and then reflectively responding to it, but the activity of participating in itself will not be enough. Um, the same thing true a form of formalism can be if you're using accountability groups as the sole solution to your spiritual problems, right? Um, you know, again, an accountability group can be a great thing where you're meeting with a number of people on a regular basis to say, here's what I'm working through and, and here's what's going on in my heart. But if all you're doing is saying, man, I'm struggling with, you know, purity, for instance, as a man or woman, let me just find some people that I meet with every single week, that in itself cannot bring change. Right? Uh, what can sometimes happens is you have, you know, for instance, let's say ladies who are gathering for weeks and months, and then all you're doing is just sharing about your issues, but there's no real growth taking place, right? There's no doing where a person's taking the steps to mortify sin or to really engage and try to see how they can shape their life in quotes. Um, all you're doing is meeting every single week and saying, here's what's going on, here's my complaint. Um, there's ways in which accountability groups can actually not truly help, and all you're doing is just talking about life. All of these things, as we said, they're not bad in themselves, and they can be good things to pursue, but it needs to be in balance, right? How are we using this intentionally to allow God to shape who we are in our, in our hearts? So again, one more question. What is attractive about this kind of pitfall? And why are we drawn to stuff like this? It's kind of like a quick fix mm -hmm. type situation. Okay. Right? Your heart's in you, you're mm -hmm. going to bring that heart to your next situation. So right, right. Yeah. A solution. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, for temporarily things can be different. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, good. Out. So that's the easy way to do it. Mm. You know, just put a band-aid on. Yeah. But you got to peel that onion. Mm, yeah, that's right. <laughs> we all have to become like Shrek, get to the bottom of it. So that's good. Uh, yeah, so again, all of us you know, can be prone to doing this. And the, the tricky thing is maybe we don't think that, hey, I am going to this thing to change my life. But how many times can we be engaged in all the regular parts of the Christian life, the Bible studies, the small groups, the going to church, the reading your Bible, in a way in which you're just going through the motions too, right? Um, we have to be careful of all of this. So again, the thing that we have to see, and maybe you can start looking up some of those passages there, uh, engaging and thinking about the people we're with and the circumstances we're in are important, right? We should be seeking change in some of those, but is this not the sole solution, right? We should be engaging in people and places and maybe changing our workplaces or the people we spend time with intentionally, but all of it trying to allow God to change our hearts. And so we have two passages again that will kind of address this. The first one being Philippians 4, 12 and 13, a, a well-known passage. Gary? I know how to get along with humble means and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled Yeah. So again, going to the idea of the challenges we face, it's not wrong and it's not bad to see in God's timing if you can get out of certain situations. But even as Paul is saying here, in every single circumstance, I can do it in Christ, right? Jesus is the one who strengthens our Christian life. And so even if I'm in this worst, horrible circumstance that I just hate and I want to get out of, Jesus can help me. Uh, it's not about Jesus helping you score a touchdown, right? As we often hear in sports where a person wins a Super Bowl and then quotes this first. Again, praise God that this person is a believer and wants to share the truth. Um, but the focus is really talking about the difficult circumstances in our life, whether it's trials or hardships or even spiritual temptations. In all of this, God is the one who helps us to go through whatever circumstance we're in. So how do we engage in that intentionally? Um, another passage, uh, Matthew 6, 7, and 8. Did someone find that one, Alex? Oh, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Yeah, so, so the context here is a little bit different, right? It's talking about the ritualistic prayers that maybe you see in the, the pagan world in which, hey, I, I say a certain number of prayers and then uh, the God will hear me. Or I do a certain number of sacrifices and things will be different. But I think the principle of this can be helpful for us to consider as well. Um, are we thinking, hey, if I'm going to the right number of Bible studies or church activities, that's when my life is going to be different. Yeah. So as I'm listening and we're going through these different um, categories, and I'm thinking about the Ethiopian eunuch. Hmm. When he was reading the word, but he needed someone to help him to understand, and that's what Philip did. Hmm. So not only do we need to know the word, understand the word, but the application of the word, it seems to be problematic for us mm. because we can hear, we can understand what the words are saying, but how is that to be lived out? What are contents, what mm. contents 
are necessary for us to move from being a baby Christian in our application of the word to knowing that the first place we're probably going to should go to is Christ, is mm. God, and prayer. So the all of these circumstances can vary greatly, but it's the application of the word mm. that we are supposed to know and understand. And if we don't get the application of that word correct, we're subject to choose many avenues. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's well said. And so going back to, you know, what are the things that we should be considering, you know, that is where we're thinking through some of these overall categories, right? So going back to, for instance, the spiritual disciplines here, as a baseline, how should a Christian be relating to people and things to grow with God, with their circumstances, with others and the church, and then, you know, practicing all the things that we talked about there. Uh, and then like you're saying, it's one thing to then say, okay, so let me go to a church and a Bible study and accountability group and one-on-one -on -one discipleship, but that in itself won't be helpful, right? It's how you're engaging with those that, you know, the Lord can use it for change. So, so that's well said. Yeah, uh, any other thoughts or questions on this topic here? Yeah. I just, uh, I was looking at what follows seven and eight in Matthew that we were just looking at. Hmm. like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, mm. your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, give us, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God-centric, mm. not right. self-centric. Mm. That's how. Yeah. This is it. Yeah, no, that's very helpful. So going back to our theology, how much are we truly saying, Lord, all of this is you. Yeah. I need you. I want you. I love you. That then motivates everything else. Which yeah. is yeah. No, amen. Yeah, no, that, that's a good word for sure. Uh, yeah, and so again, like I said, the context of this verse is more talking about prayer. So I wouldn't use this and say, hey, this is the justification for why eventism is wrong, right? But the context is we are drawn to rituals. We're drawn to do this, go here, and then change will happen. And that's where we have to be careful. Okay, very good. Let's move on to the next one. Uh, this is what I'm calling emotionalism, which is I just need to feel the right way, right? And so this is where, again, all of us can naturally be drawn to, right? We feel bad because of maybe circumstances or people in our life or whatever it is and think, well, as long as I'm feeling better, then things will be okay. Uh, so one of the ways that you see that, right, is when a person feels this really depressed, right, which is very common, more secular circles now, and they think the answer is I talk to a clinical uh, psychologist or counselor or whatever, who then will give me medication, right, and then I'll take the medication and all of my problems will be addressed. Um, but as we know, going to the Band-Aid sore analogy that I think Becky was sharing, um, medication can change your symptoms biologically, right, because we have physical, biological bodies. But if the reason for how we're feeling has a deep spiritual heart root, that is, it's because we are worshiping something that we're not supposed to, or we're, we're not seeing God as the center of our lives or our stories, you know, yeah, maybe you'll feel numb for a bit, but you're never going to truly see the kind of joy or change that God actually wants us to have, right? Because you're just trying to focus on your emotions. Um, this is, again, a, a big reason why people can be drawn to um, whether it's partying or alcohol or, or drug usage is because it's numbing the pain, right? You will feel really, really good in the moment, 
Um, maybe for some, it's similar. Again, this isn't wrong in itself, but hyperactive, um, healthy lifestyles of exercise and eating healthy, you will feel better, right? And again, that is a good thing. I'm not saying that's wrong in itself, but we can be drawn to some of these things because we're thinking, you know, maybe I just don't feel good right now. Whatever's going on in my circumstances, I don't like. So what can I do? What can I pursue where I will feel better? And maybe it works for a season, um, but it doesn't get to the heart as we've talked about. Uh, maybe I'll just ask you guys this. What are some Christian versions of emotionalism? What I'm calling mysticism here. Uh, what, what are some examples in which people can be pursuing emotions in a spiritual type of way? Any thoughts? Do you have a, a thought brewing, Bob? I'll just reflect back on these churches where they, you know, dancing in the aisle and mm. jumping up and down and yelling and screaming and all that. Yeah. They think that typifies where they really are. They really aren't. Okay. And yeah. But as you're speaking, I keep going back to transformation of the heart. Okay. If there's no transformation of the heart, all this means nothing. Mm, okay. Yeah, so you're saying that there's um, ways that a church can orchestrate, whether it's the ambiance or the speaker personality to where, man, I feel really riled up right now. Is, is that what you're saying? It's country. You know, they have everybody here singing uh -huh. and praising the Lord, but they walk out the door and continue doing the same thing they were doing before mm. they walked in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In the moment. Right, right. We need to get away from that. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a good word. Yeah, there are people where... Yeah, and, and again, this is sad, but you know, their life is not in a good place. And so they say, I need to go to church to where I'm going to feel good, right? Yeah. Uh, and again, it's, it's a good desire. They genuinely want to get out of what their circumstance, but then you go home and you're in the same situation. So, well, I need to get back to that church to where I can feel that for sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, it, it made me think of one example I'll share. Uh, I remember going to this church where it, it was something like that. And uh, during their offering time, um, they actually made it into kind of a dance celebration, right? And so they're playing like really upbeat music, you know, and then everyone's clapping. And then you're, we all made like a, like a choo-choo train to like go to the front and drop off like the money we had. And then, because it wasn't a huge church, everyone was then on the stage basically dancing, clapping, and saying, oh, Lord, you know, we're doing this for you. And, and again, that was a, a helpful experience for me to realize how much am I genuinely thanking, praising God in my act of giving, right? So, so that was the positive correction, right? Because I, I'll say for my giving to the church, which we're all called to do regularly, I have it on auto pay. And so it's very easy without even thinking to say, I'm doing my, my due diligence before the Lord. I am worshiping him. But that was also a heart check. When I am giving to the Lord, whether it's financially or other means, am I truly doing it to worship, praise him or am I just doing it because I know it's the right thing to do, right? So th that was the positive side. Of course, the negative is the whole thing is a show. So I, I, bring, I bring up both sides to say, you know, don't just throw out the baby with the bathwater. Um, there are th good things that we can learn there. But yes, it can all just be some type of show. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I think Bob makes a great point at, like, so, like a lot of times that goes over the top. And there certainly are, are uh, guess you could call them pastors who exploit that mm. um, to take advantage of people mm. um, but I think there's also maybe a tiny way in which like we could do that also in the sense that if we're not uh, like in God's word during the week if we're not in fellowship with other believers mm. during the week 
um, and it's all concentrated on a couple hours on Sunday morning, mm -hmm. I think it becomes easier to sort of spiritually idolize that Sunday mm -hmm. morning experience of, oh man, my week's going terrible. Yeah. I just gotta make it to Sunday morning. Right. And I'll be around other people and they'll encourage me when that's available to you all the time, mm. right? And so if we get into a habit of not being in God's word and not being around mm. God's people, the other six days of the week, yeah. I think we could fall into this pattern. Mm. Yeah, that's well said. Where, And again, it, it is a good desire to say, I know church will be the place in which I get all of that. And it has been a hard week. And so I really just wanna be with God's people. As you're saying, if you're doing that to the exclusion of everything else, mm -hmm. it can become more this type of dynamic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that, that's really well said. Um, yeah, I, I think one other way we see that, and you know, you've probably heard a lot of Christians say things like this, I really felt the Lord today. Yeah. Or on the opposite, I just don't feel like he's present. Um, you know, therefore, you know, X, Y, and Z. And again, as you know, you see in scripture, there could be reasons that you're grieving the Holy Spirit in which you are truly just running away from him. But there's also the other extreme of, oh, I just have to feel a certain way. And these positive emotions I associate with God. And so when I feel really positive, that's the Holy Spirit filling this room. If I don't feel some type of emotion, he's not here. So all types of things that we can potentially watch out for. Um, Again, uh, hopefully you're hearing this. It's the same mantra each time. Christ-likeness is not just our emotions, right? But again, emotions are important, but it's more, you know, what's leading to those emotions in the first place. Are we engaging God in the way that we're called to in all of our life from the heart? If we are, emotions will be a byproduct. I hope that when you are worshiping on a Sunday morning and you're singing the lyrics, which we'll sing in about 25, 30 minutes, that should lead to some type of joy. Right? When you hear what Christ has done for you on the cross, that is incredible. It shouldn't just be a reason to say, um, I can't. be thou my right? Where you're just saying words. Hopefully, as we're singing these songs, it's a genuine, it's genuinely from our soul. Right? We're saying, Lord, this is my cry. This is you are my delight for what you've done, what you continue to do. We have to be careful on the other extreme as well. So, um, but emotion should be the byproduct of genuine worship not the focus of our life. Um, so two verses uh, which we can look at, which again, it, it's more indirect, but you know, this is what I found. Psalm 62, verse 8, and then uh, 1 John 3, verse 20. Can someone, okay, so Gary, you have the first one, Psalm 62. Uh, trust in him at all times. Uh, don't pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this one is saying we should be able to pour out our hearts before the Lord, right? As, you, as we talked about here, if you were in the biblical lament class, that includes our genuine thoughts, our struggles, and our emotions, right? You read through the Psalms and notice how much emotional language is there because it's David, it's all the psalmists being genuinely honest with what they're going through and what they feel, but then turning it in a Godward direction, saying, Lord, even though I feel this way, even though my enemies are surrounding me, I trust in you, right? That's how we should be uh, uh, engaging in our emotions. And so we have uh, 1 John 3.20. Does someone have that? Yeah? Dan? For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Yeah. So again, the heart here is not just our emotions, but that's included in it. It's saying whenever our heart condemns us, we're, we're telling ourselves, 
I'm not forgiven. You know, Jesus isn't enough. Or I feel guilty. Or I feel shameful. That's included in all of that. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything, right? So regardless of what you're experiencing or feeling, you have to remind yourself of what is true. That is, God is greater than that. He's greater than not just our emotions, but including our emotions there. Okay, let's move on to the last one because I do want to leave some time at the end. Uh, intellectualism. And so you'll see the Christian version there because really I think this is more of a Christian thing of biblicism, which is I just need to know the right things. And so the danger here is when we get so focused on reading God's word, knowing God's word, studying God's word, maybe even teaching God's word, but in a way that's purely an intellectual exercise where we're not practicing everything else that we've talked about praying in response to God, praising him for what we've studied, trying to actually live it out on a more regular basis, um, thinking about how this should affect our life and the way that we minister to other people. If it's purely just an intellectual exercise, uh, that's what can be called biblicism. And uh, you know, this is something that hopefully isn't characterizing our church, but I would say going to other churches you see a lot of, um, people that know so much of scripture, uh, they can quote it to you maybe better than you know it yourself. Um, they listen to sermons every single day all the time. Uh, but then you have a man who's a horrible husband, right? You know, doing all these Bible studies, you know, reading all the, the passages in the world, but is not loving his wife well, is not serving his children well, um, who's argumentative with other people, who's, who's proud in the way that he, he engages with non-believers, right? Maybe he wants to share the gospel and he's knowing all these verses and is willing to quote it, uh, but in a way that's saying, look at how horrible these pagans are. I'm going to show them the truth of, of who God is. Um, there's so many ways that this danger can be taken, um, but it's all in which we're, we're taking in God's word, but in a way that we're not applying it in the ways that we've seen uh, in our class together. So let me ask you again this. What is attractive about this particular pitfall? Um, this is one that's probably closest to home for a lot of us who are here at New Community. Yeah. I think with this one, this is kind of the, uh, its root is founded in being an autopilot in the church, right? So you're going to all these Bible studies, you're going to church, you're, you're being fed the word, but your life's on autopilot, so you're not necessarily applying it. Hmm. Um, Right, so it's kind of the default of being on autopilot within the church. Okay, yeah, so. yeah, and then so just desire. I'm just gonna keep on learning stuff because it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 okay. Uh, yeah, Danny. I think for me, I sometimes have like obsessive tendencies. <laughs> mm. You know, whether it's whatever hobby, I just like to dive into it, and the actual learning of it and getting deep into it is enjoyable in its own sense. Yeah. And then you know, if you're trying to walk the Christian life, but you're not giving your heart to God, you, you can maybe have a mindset of, well, I'm supposed to learn the Bible, so I'm going <laughs> to approach this mm. in actually a sinful sort of way where I know so much about it that I can, you know, dominate mm. any sort of religious conversation. Yeah. And yeah, it's kind of like intellectualism. Yeah. Gratifying your own interests rather than, you know, putting your heart in the right place. Yeah. No, thanks for, you know, sharing. So, yeah, it could be the desire to just, you know, learn more things, right? That in itself can be enjoyable. Um, the root for all of us can be a, a spirit of pride. I, I know more than other people as well. Um, and so this is where it's, you know, we see it's so close to what we should be doing, right? Each one of these things that we've addressed is so close, 
but it misses the mark because it's used in a sinful, selfish way. Yeah, that, that's really good. Any other comments? Maybe in the back of the class, any thoughts? I'm not going to call on anyone today, but if, if you have thoughts, you can share it. Yeah. yeah. What Tony said. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's really good. <laughs> hey, thank you, Tony. Thank you, Patrick. It's like a... Mm, yeah, right. Right. But it hasn't gotten here, so we're not doing anything Yeah, no, that, that's very good. The Bible speaks clearly about that. Knowing the truth but not obeying the truth. Yeah, no, that, that's excellent. Um, yeah, maybe let, let's all go to this Ezekiel passage. I'll read it out loud, but it's helpful if we all look at it because I think this really illustrates a huge part of what this is. Um, so it's Ezekiel 33, as you can see, verse 30 to 33. Give you guys just a second. Uh, yes, I, I think it's over there. Yeah, 33, then verse 30 to 33. Yes, maybe some of us are like, when is the last time I read Ezekiel? <laughs> Where is Ezekiel? Okay. It should be somewhere a little bit past the midpoint of your Bible, the minor, or not the minor prophets, but in the, the prophet section. Okay. Yeah. If you can't find it, you can use the concordance, or if you have your phone, just uh, <laughs> scroll until you see an E, and then hopefully it's... It's there. Okay, I'm just going to start reading it, but hopefully you're either following along or, or you'll, you'll get there soon. It says, as for you, son of man. So this is God speaking to the prophet Ezekiel, right? Ezekiel has been warning the people of God. Um, they haven't been listening. He says this, as for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of their houses say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the word is that comes from Yahweh. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act, their heart is set on their gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument, for they will hear what you say, but they will not do it. When this comes, he's talking about the judgment, and it will come, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. And the, the character here is you have God's people who are listening to Ezekiel the prophet, and he's warning them that you need to turn and repent of your sin. You need to listen to the God of the universe. And apparently, he was a great speaker. And so these people who are openly rebelling against God were saying, you got to hear this guy speak. He is so entertaining, right? And so they're listening to all of these wonderful truths being spoken by a prophet of God, which are the words of Yahweh, but they wanted to do nothing. The whole thing was just an exercise. It was entertaining for them, hearing more and more of these speeches and these sermons. And that's why God is saying in verse 33, when judgment comes and it will come, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. All right? They weren't seriously taking uh, the fact that they need to respond to what's going on until the point in which it's too late. And so for us, again, we're not in Israel today, but we can be drawn to this too, right? Whether it's, man, I came to this church because Pastor Rich is such a great speaker, right? And he is, right? I get so much out of it. Or you're going to Bible studies and saying, man, I learned so much today. But if we're not regularly using that to worship God, right? So we're saying, here's what I'm learning about who you are, which is reason to praise you. Here's what I'm learning, which is reason to trust you in this hardship. If you're not doing that and you're just taking in more and more information, it is all for not. 
So I'm not saying we shouldn't listen to God's word and we should study and listen to sermons and, and do all those things. But if it's not done with the right heart, as we've seen here, it's going to lead to this type of spiritual toxicity that God's people were in in the book of Ezekiel. So this is where we need to be careful as well. And so again, that, that's a question for us. Are we having this type of worshipful, a humble, reflective posture in which when we hear scripture in whatever form, we are saying, Lord, today it needs to be applied. This week it needs to be applied. Help me to do this. I, I had this challenge this week. Uh, I've been reading through the Old Testament because it's been a while since I've read through it all consecutively. And it is a wonderful story, right? When you really know the ups and downs of what they're going through, you see the rebellion of Israel over and over again. It's dramatic. Uh, when you read the book of Judges and see how depraved the people were getting, which is all pointing to the fact that they needed the true king, who is Jesus, you know, th there are so many gripping things that happen. Um, but it's very easy, as it was for me, to read it like a novel. Because there are amazing details. There are uh, story beats and things that you see the author drawing your attention to. Um, but even for me, it was easy to say, yeah, that was a great time. I'm ready for the next time I read it, because it is interesting without actually saying, Lord, what is this showing me about you? How, how am I living like the Israelites in this passage here? Um, that, that's the danger that we need to watch for, that we can find ourselves falling into. So um, any thoughts about that, whether it's yourself um, being in the same type of posture or experiences you've had with this type of uh, intellectualism? Any thoughts? Okay. Yeah. And that's fine if it's not. I, I know this can be something that's very reflective as well. You know, we can find ourselves here and, uh, you know, maybe that's where we were this morning coming into this class, going into the service. But this then is that time to where we can go before the Lord and say, God, help me to really engage with your word in a, in a worshipful posture. May I do this in a way in which I'm trying to live it out. Uh, this goes back to your Inhaling and exhaling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oxygen. Yeah. Yeah. In the way that when we are reading scripture, it's not just scripture, right? We respond in prayer, in praise, in confession, supplication, all of those things. That's very good. Um, yeah. And so those are the, the four major pitfalls. Again, I'm sure you can find many other categories, but uh, I just wanted to have this as kind of a, a last check for all of us to think through. I, I guess I didn't make a, a slide that has all of them. Um, but think through when we're trying to live this Christian life as we go from here. We want to pursue all of these things, right? We should be growing in our knowledge of God's word. Over time, our emotions should change. Not that we're seeking them personally, but as we're knowing God, they will change. Uh, we should be changing where we go, who we interact with, what our priorities are. And hopefully our behavior is being changed as well. But we just don't do these things in isolation, right? All of this, we do it collectively together in a balanced way as we ask God to change who we are in our heart that then leads to a changed lifestyle. Um, so that's really all I have. I, I hope that the material we've covered so far, again, kind of just as an introduction, is helpful to some degree. Um, whatever each of us is working through, I, I hope it's beneficial. Uh, but I would just love to spend the last couple minutes we have just hearing from you guys. Uh, did you get anything out of these last six weeks? And if so, uh, what did you get? You know, um, maybe just share if you can one thing, and hopefully we all have at least one thing we can share. Otherwise, I'll, I'll sit here and shame now. Um, yeah, but I'd just love to hear reflectively. Uh, did you get anything out of our six weeks together? And, and if so, what? Yeah. 
time to stop doing honest self-assessment and keep applying the word and listen to what mm. God's doing and then like you said today same thing don't just study and gain the knowledge apply it regurgitate it but you're, what is it going to do if you're just holding it all in mm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, all of our tendency to just go through the rituals, right? Yeah. Anything else? <laughs> John 5, 39, 40. Last one up on the, on the slide. Get me between the running lines. Hmm. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about you, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, just it's so easy to just take it all in and but actually miss the point, which is truly knowing Christ, right? I just I want a good life. I want a righteous life. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Good. Yeah, well, and again, my hope and prayer is that you did get, you know, something out of these last six weeks. Um, you know, as, as I've said every single time, it's thinking through how can we pursue and know and love Christ personally, right? This is really the, the game plan, right? Going back to what we covered at the beginning, it's knowing that we need to pursue him fully. Um, we do it through, you know, seeking heart change. Uh, we engage in these spiritual disciplines, all of them, not just picking and choosing certain ones and then, you know, practicing the ability to help other people. I hope and I pray as we walk away today, you will be saying, I know more how to minister to myself, my heart, and the hearts of those around me. Um, again, as you guys have other questions, things come up, whether it's today, this week, or whenever, feel free to also reach out. Um, we'd love to be able to help clarify anything or in whatever situation it may be. Um, but again, I, I hope that it's been a, a blessing, and I thank you all for participating in the ways that you have. I'm really grateful for all of that. And uh, really, again, I hope that we're able to walk away with something here. So maybe as we're, we're closing out the class, because, uh, you know, we do have uh, the equip block that's coming up. Just want to mention some announcements that are going to be here. Um, so we'll go through the upcoming classes in a second. Uh, NCC announcements. Okay, so uh, as you see here, the next block is coming up. So I would really encourage you guys to consider joining one of these classes. Oh, this is linking to the wrong one. Okay, I'll need to speak with Sarah about that. Uh, so the upcoming classes we have, so I'll be teaching a class on biblical justice. So just in the world that we're in, knowing that people fall in different positions, uh, different ways that people talk about things, what does the Bible actually say about justice, right? So how can we have more informed conversations? Why do Christians land in different positions? Uh, Discovering NCC is a really great class. If you're newer to the church, if you're not yet a member, or you're just wanting to know more about um, what it means to be a part of the church, a great class taught by Doug Hayward. Uh, that's going to be here in this space. Oh, for the biblical justice class, unfortunately, I don't know for sure where it's going to be. It's either going to be at the hotel, which I'm hoping it's not because that's not the best setup. We're trying to get a tent uh, kind of built up here in the front to where we can host another class. It might not be ready in time, so it might be in one of those spaces or partially both. But Discovering NCC will be here in room 100. Uh, Pastor Jerry will be covering a class on conflict resolution or healing broken relationships. So just thinking through uh, tension, conflict, how do you work through that biblically? 9 a.m. in the second room, 200 there. And then uh, Mark Drinker will be covering the second half of his Ladder Prophets class, also in that room, 200 at the 1030 hour. So hope that you can join one of those classes as we just continue this culture of wanting to learn 
uh, be equipped, minister to other people, um, all of those should be helpful there. And then really quick, a couple other announcements. Grief Share, I believe, is already going on. Is that right? And so that's on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Uh, great ministry if you've experienced the loss of a loved one. Um, just a time of sharing and, and really finding help and solace. Uh, there's going to be a fall picnic coming up on October 7 at the Wildwood Community Park. So again, if you're a family, which I think is everyone in this room, uh, if you're a teacher and assisted, just a chance to fellowship, uh, maybe a little bit of sharing um, just to spend some time together. Even if you are, um, yeah, if you are a unit of one, you, are, you can bring yourself. Uh, and then as we mentioned before, we're going to have our men's conference on October 20th and 21st. Uh, unlike previous years, we're doing it here at the church just to make it easier, especially for younger families with younger kids so you don't have to completely leave at night. Uh, a great chance to be able to hear sharpening teaching uh, from the book of James about what it means to be all in for Christ. So hopefully you can sign up for that, talk with Bruce, um, Ben, or even myself after here. So guys, thank you so much again for everything these last six weeks. Uh, I look forward to seeing you guys in that room. Uh, or in a quick class sometime next week, okay? All right, God bless, and uh, we'll see you guys soon. Yeah.